You know how I know that this show is not going to go anywhere? Um, last week, you probably caught this, uh, that I made multiple mentions that we are wrapping up. We are ending uh, Women's History Month with stories about great women from history. Uh, and maybe if you were astute, you would have known that there was a whole other week and a half left in the month of March. And I did not realize that until I, um, you know, I published the entire show, uploaded it. And then I looked at my notes to do what little prep I do, uh, for recording this. And that's when I realized like, Oh no, I completely accidentally skipped this date when I planned out all of these episodes. So rather than go back and re-record uh, last week's episode like a true professional would, I just let it sl- I just let it sit. I didn't even acknowledge it. I just let it I just sent it out into the universe and you know, Maybe people thought I was going to take this week off. I don't think any of you care that much. Um, Maybe you just thought I was an idiot, which is on point, right? But I've got it all fixed. I got my dates right now. Thank you, dog. Dog is still here, ruining things. I could re-record this, but I'm not. Because I just, guys, I don't care. I don't care. Um, But yeah. We're going to finish Women's History Month for real this time. And this was actually, honestly, this was a very serendipitous uh, mistake that was made because it allows me to honor Women's History Month uh, in true fashion, uh, which is completely on brand for me. Uh, Last week, we looked at some great women in history, and this week... We are looking at some awful women in history. We are for real wrapping up Women's History Month right now on Our Weird World. Our Weird World. Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson. And yes, actually for real this time. Going to do it right. Uh, Looking at some awful women in history this week because, all right, look, here's the thing, you guys. Um, We celebrated Black History Month, all right, last year or in the first, yeah, last year, I think, um, by highlighting some less than savory black characters uh, and people from history. Had to do it. That's what we do. Um, Mother's Day, I think we had an episode about bad moms. So why not continue the theme of highlighting some of the worst kinds of people uh, in history? And so today we are looking at a few different awful women uh, going way back in time for most of these uh, because women have just gotten better. They've aged like a fine wine and other pandering statements to make women feel better about themselves because they probably feel pretty insecure right now about this whole episode. Anyway, going to look at the stories of Messalina, Lacusta, Elizabeth Bathory, and Delphine LaLaurie. So let's get into it. 
All right, like I said, uh, going back way, way back in history uh, with our first story here of Messalina, who was born uh, in either 17 or 20 uh, CE. So like we're talking like alive during Jesus time. Two Jesus references in a row, back to back weeks. How about that? All right. I don't know why that's important, but um, she was born to Domitia Lepida, the younger, and Marcus Valerius Masala Barbatas. Why are their names that long? Even more, they were first cousins. Why? Well, because the Romans actually preferred a little cousin loving more than anything else. Uh, I don't know if that's factually accurate, but it seems accurate. All right. A lot of, a lot of uh, family adjacent, like not, not super illegal, but still weird, like family relations. Um, I don't know, but that's who Messalina, she is, she is a cousin baby and, um, and a somehow complex yet rarely forking family tree. All right. Messalina was also related to both Nero and Mark Antony, which is impressive when your parents are both cousins. That's that takes some skill or just the entire Roman population was just like three different family trees that rarely intersected. All right. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, but beyond that, beyond the weird family tree stuff, uh, not much is not much is really known about Messalina's life until she married uh, Claudius, Emperor Claudius, uh, you know, who also was her first cousin. Like everyone is everyone's first cousin in Rome, apparently. Uh, but she did that in the year 38. Uh, Messalina had two children, Claudia Octavia, who then eventually married Nero, who was Messalina's uncle's son. All right. So I don't even know, man. I don't like if Messalina's uncle's son would be Messalina's cousin. Right. Well, her her daughter married Messalina's cousin. So I think that's like a second cousin. All right. I think Uh, her other kid uh, was named Britannicus, who um, was poisoned by uh, Locusta, who we're going to talk about next. So a lot of this really comes together um, under Nero's direction, because Nero, if we know from history, Nero, crazy ruler. All right. Well, after uh, Emperor Caligula was murdered by the Praetorian Guard, uh, Claudius then assumed the throne, so uh, which allowed Messalina to become uh, the empress of the Roman Empire. Uh, and although Claudius was in charge Messalina was running the show, all right? Messalina wore the pants or the toga. They probably both wore togas, so she probably wore pants under her toga. You get it. Um, and several several historians of the era were not okay with that because women were not supposed to be able to do anything fun, like rule an entire empire. And Messalina, she was very aggressive. She began exiling people that she didn't like. And then she also accused others of despicable acts just to get Claudius to order their execution. Um, When she began to fear that Nero was going to then challenge her son for the throne, uh, Britannicus, uh, she sent a group of assassins to Nero's house to murder him. Um, 
But upon entering Nero's bedroom, all of the assassins thought that they saw a snake slither out from beneath Nero's bed and they ran away, which like you are, you're a trained assassin. Why are you scared of snakes? Why are all of you afraid of snakes? And also, if there was a snake under Nero's bed, that's pretty hardcore. Nero's an insane person just sleeping with a snake under his bed. That's pretty crazy. Um, so, but when she wasn't busy plotting to have various people murdered, uh, Messalina was a pretty horny gal. All right. She was Randy. All right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. Um, on one account in uh, Plan- uh, Plenty of the Elders Natural History. Um, whoa. What the? What? Alexa just spoke to me from like three rooms away. And that's creepy. She's still talking. I'm very concerned right now i don't know what's going on i'm gonna hang on we're gonna pause the episode here enjoy this hold music while i make sure that i'm not about to get murdered Okay. All right. I'm back. Good news. No one's here. I'm not going to get murdered, at least not in the foreseeable future. So that's good. All right. Where were we? Back to the story. Um, Messalina, super horny gal. All right. She's also, you know, pretty much wearing the pants in the family. I covered that. Uh, She uh, screws people over just so uh, Claudius can order their executions. She's just really evil and really horny. Um, Pliny the Elder, in his uh, account in Natural History, um, and which is there's a huge asterisk on this because uh, a lot of people, a lot of historians, really question whether or not this actually happened, and you will understand why here in a second. Um, Messalina uh, held a competition with a prostitute to see who could score the most partners in a 24-hour period, and according to uh, Pliny the Elder's story. Messalina beat this prostitute with a final score of 25 men in a single day, which is really impressive, right? Because that's a lot of chafing. That is a lot of thrusting. That's a lot of depositories and such, probably. Because, I mean, you got to imagine, like, they're probably not pulling out back then, right? I don't know. I, I don't know how sex worked in during Jesus's time. Um <laughs> Anyway, um, after ordering, uh, she then uh, went on to order the poisoning of Marcus Vin, 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 I, I, it's really dark in here and I'm having a hard time reading the monitor. Vinicius. That's what it is. I'm getting old. I am getting so old that I, I'm having trouble reading the computer monitor when there's not enough light. And here's the thing. I have like two lamps in here that give off a, a sufficient amount of light. I just don't turn them on because I'm stubborn and an idiot. I have completely derailed all of the momentum in this episode. 
I should completely restart. I should re-record the whole thing, but I'm not going to do it because that would be disingenuous. And you're already like this far into it. You're probably not cutting it off. I don't know why. I don't, I don't know why you're still listening, but thanks. Um, we're going to get through this story, though. I promise. We're almost done. Um, after ordering the poisoning of Marcus Venetius um, because Marcus refused to sleep with her, and after, you know, running through 25 dudes in a day, I don't blame him. Um, Messalina then went and married Senator Gaius Silius, even though, as you may immediately point out, uh, she was still married to Emperor Claudius. But after throwing a lavish wedding banquet for herself, uh, Claudius was informed of the events and figured that he should probably do something about it, especially since his wife marrying another politician, which is, you know, he was a senator, uh, probably meant that he was about to be overthrown and end up like pretty much every other Roman emperor before him, which was brutally murdered and deposed. So, um, Claudius, he ran into Messalina and their children on the way back to Rome, which was probably pretty awkward. And Messalina immediately began trying to sweet talk her way out of it. You know, it's like, hey, Claudius, it's me, Messalina. Because, of course, they're, they're Romans. They're Italian. That's all they talk. You know, it's like, hey, I bet you heard about the, the wedding that I had with the senator. And guess what? It's just so funny. It's a big joke. We're going we're gonna to double cross him. Yeah. Because, uh. Cause uh, you know uh, I was gonna get you to make it, make it, gonna tell you that he was raping me, and uh, and then uh, you was uh, gonna kill him, and then you was to be the emperor forever, you know. And probably that's how they talked. And uh, Claudius, who was more of a pushover than most Roman emperors, actually started to reconsider. He started to believe that Messalina was in trouble, or that you know something different was going on than there actually was, and. Um, Hoping to avoid everything falling into the same cycle again, uh, a freedman, a freedman named uh, Narcissus, great name, uh, implored Claudius to stop thinking with his wiener and take into consideration all of the awful things that Messalina had done up until that point, which included continuous alleged prostitution and the deaths of at least 10 people, which I love the irony there. A guy named Narcissus <laughs> is imploring is 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 imploring someone else to think about themselves uh and and think about the greater good and not just how it would benefit him and i think that's great um when uh when claudius then hesitated again uh narcissus actually took matters into his own hands of course he did um and told an officer in the praetorian guard that claudius had ordered messalina's execution uh, when the guards found her, she was given the option of taking her own life or being brutally murdered in the way that Romans did things. Uh, she understandably had a hard time, you know, she obviously picked killing herself, but she had a hard time going through with it. Um, so the guard, one of the guards ended up lopping her head off for her. And um, when Claudius was uh, finally informed of Messalina's death, uh, he simply just asked for another glass of wine because he's probably over it. I would be like, here's the thing. I, I don't have a lot of dignity as is obvious by all of the dumb things I do and say on this show, but I would like to think that if my wife, who was a lovely person held a competition to see how many dudes could just run a train in a 24 hour period, I, you know, I would like to think I'd walk away at that point, you know, like, and not, not, not out of some 
uh, moral high horse or because I think I'm bad. It's just personal preference, you know. Um, I think at that point I'd be like, you know, maybe marriage isn't for me, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna ride off into my own sunset, uh, cut my losses, and and just go. But Claudius, um, you know, uh, something to say about how committed he was, uh, and how loyal he was to his wife. But uh, and, and but but in the end. You know, I think he was finally happy to be uh, done with it for the next, I don't know how few ever years of life he had left um, <laughs> before he got deposed. Um, our next story here kind of take pl- took place around the same time. I mentioned her earlier before I completely derailed the episode. Um, and that was the story of Locusta, who was just another nice lady who lived in Rome. Uh, and this was during the Pax Romana period in the first century, um, where it was just this quote-unquote period of peace there wasn't really um and really the only reason that um it was considered a peaceful time was because there wasn't an official war going on because the romans had were just tired of it after mark antony and cleopatra's escapades during the final war of the roman republic and it was also called the final war of the roman republic and so they really just you know they they called it the final war of the roman republic you guys they couldn't just start another one we know this we all know this um whatever um so since everyone wasn't actively trying to kill each other uh locusta decided to make sure that the roman tradition of killing each other (laughs) continued uh by poisoning people uh, although she was arrested and jailed for it on multiple occasions because she wasn't really good at keeping it a secret. Like, she'd just go around and just be like, hey, I'm a poisoning everybody. And Roman people, you know, Roman authorities are like, hey, you probably can't do that. Uh, we're in the Pax of Romana. You can't, you can't be a poisoning people. Look, who's the what you do? You know? But Locusta actually ended up getting hired by Roman Empress Agrippina the Younger to then poison Emperor Claudius and um, and and be released. So Locusta took her poisonous concoction that she had come up with and she laced a dish of mushrooms with it to give to Claudius. The dish was then given to Claudius's personal food taster, Halotus, whose primary job was to make sure that you know this type of thing didn't happen. But uh, Halotus, who was actually in on the plot, uh, didn't do his job, and then Claudius uh, eventually died in 54 AD. And uh, yeah, it's the same Claudius from the last episode. So there you go. There's the the story comes full circle. Um, the next year, Locusta was then arrested and sentenced to death for poisoning someone else. But uh, Nero, who uh, famously was super crazy, set fire to Rome, blamed the Christians. Uh, he decided to pardon Locusta and then set her free on the sole condition that she then helped Nero poison Britannicus, uh, who was Nero's stepbrother, Claudius's son, probably like a, you know, third cousin thrice removed and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, but he was the heir, he was the true heir to the empire. And so, uh, Nero wanted him gone. And despite failing on her first attempt, Lacusta was actually able to successfully poison 14 year old Britannicus. And as a reward, Nero gave Lacusta a large home and even started sending pupils to her to so she could start like her own little murder school. Um, unfortunately for Locusta, when Nero committed suicide, uh, she was then arrested and sentenced to death by the new emperor, Gaiba, or, uh, Galba, who was well aware of what Locusta had been up to, as was probably everyone in the Roman government. 
Um, and as was Roman tradition, uh, Locusta was executed in the same manner that uh, she used to murder her victims. And that is absolutely not true uh, because this is Rome. They are super hardcore with uh, the people that did the worst things. And so here's what happened. This is insane. Uh, Locusta was actually raped to death by a giraffe. Like, I don't even, I don't, I don't know how it's, I've never seen a giraffe's wiener. Granted, never really actively looked for pictures, but I'm going based on just the overall size of the animal and like, gotta be somewhat proportionate, right? Or, you know, like a long neck, you know what they say about animals with long necks? Hey, you know, I don't know. <laughs> this episode is so stupid. And I can't, I feel like I just keep digging a hole and I can't get out of it. But anyway, Lacusa was raped to death by a giraffe. Fun fact for you. Um, two stories to go, thank God. Uh, next one is of Elizabeth Bathory, who was born in Hungary in 1560 to a royal Hungarian family. Uh, she was engaged at age 11, married at age 15 to Ferenc Nazdadi, um, Nadazdi as uh, just a political arrangement. Duh. Cause I mean like what 11 year old is like, yes, Papa, I want to get married. Actually probably a bunch of 11 year old girls are into that. That's kind of like the stereotypical girl fantasy. who's going to be a princess and marry a prince and do some stuff. I don't know. Um, while that seems incredibly young, obviously to get married, like you got to remember that the life expectancy of a woman in the middle ages was only like 30 years old. So like, it's not, it wasn't that weird back then. Um, Bathory, she was well-educated. She wrote and spoke in four different languages. Uh, she even ruled over the Hungarians and Slovaks while, uh, Ferenc Nadazdi, uh, was off at war. Cause obviously that's like the thing they do. Uh, and in the 1500s, when women barely had the liberty of breathing on their own, like this was a huge deal for her to be like in that place of high power. Well, in 1601, Nadasti uh, began experiencing severe pain in his legs. And by 1603, he was completely disabled and ended up dying a year later. And because Bathory had held so much power while he was gone, rumors began to circulate that she was this beauty-obsessed murder queen who bathed in the blood of adolescent girls as a way to reclaim and maintain her youth. Like, this went 0 to 100 real quick. All right. Um, Bathory at this point, when these rumors started circulating was over 40 years old at this point and definitely, you know, probably, probably should have been dead by middle age life expectancy standards. So bathing in the blood of children, uh, was clearly the only logical explanation as to why she was still alive. And so in 1610, King Matthias II ordered an investigation into, to, to see if any of these rumors were true. Um, and here's the thing, the investigations didn't reveal any hard evidence whatsoever, but authorities collected testimonies from over 300 witnesses who described all kinds of horrible medieval torture that they had endured or had seen happen, uh, you know, at the hands of Elizabeth Bathory. Um, she was accused of abducting and murdering anywhere from 30 to 650 peasant girls in various castles uh, belonging to her family, which... That's a huge range, and that should have been a red flag that maybe no one really knew anything was going on. Um, victims were allegedly beaten, burned, mutilated, bitten, frozen, and starved to death. 
Um, and because of that, she was arrested a year, later that year and placed under house arrest while the authorities kind of decided to figure out what to do with her. Uh, the Hungarian nobility couldn't put Bathory on trial because that would embarrass the entire royal family who, at this point, they ruled the entirety of Transylvania and, and that would cause a widespread scandal. So they tried to then send Bathory off to a nunnery, but she was rejected because, yeah, nuns aren't going to want to deal with someone who bathes in the blood of children. Um, so instead, she was locked in her castle uh, as if she was like some heroine in a, fa in a fairy tale. And then she died four years later because no knight is going to come save like a 45 year old woman like gross. Right. Just kidding. Ladies, come on. All those creams and butters that you use to keep yourself looking youthful. You, you still got it. Probably. Um, our final story here. Uh, is of Delphine Lollery, who was born on March 19th, 1787 in New Orleans to a prominent Creole family. Uh, while her parents weren't really known for anything substantial, her uncle was actually the governor of Louisiana and Florida while they were Spanish provinces, and her cousin would actually go on to become the mayor of New Orleans. Uh, not much is known of her early life until she got married at age 13 to Don Ramon de Lopez de Angulo. Uh, nailed that. Uh, who was a high-ranking Spanish royal officer who was in his 50s at the time. So that's pretty gross, all right? Kind of a red flag there. Guy, guy in his 50s marrying a 13-year-old. Seems illegal, but whatever. Um, fortunately, uh, the couple waited roughly four years to start having kids, which is admirable and impressive, all right? 57-year-old dude still able to, to have kids. And that's, I guess that's nice. Um... <laughs> Don Ramon, uh, or while Delphine was pregnant, Don Ramon was summoned back to Spain because the king had found out about his marriage, um, and you needed the king's permission to get married at the time, not because of the age difference. And uh, he ended up dying while in Cuba on his way back. So four years later, in 1808, Delphine then married Jean Bloch, uh, who was a wealthy banker, lawyer, and a merchant in New Orleans. So she's just building up her own little... Uh, European union of lovers here. Um, she had then had four children uh, with Jean before he died in 1816. So she married her third husband on June 25th, 1825, uh, Leonard Louis Nicolas Lalaurie, who was a physician and the two bought a mansion on 1140 Royal street in downtown new Orleans mansion, very loosely, very loose term for a mansion. All right. If you've been to downtown new Orleans, um, the house is still there. It's not a mansion, all right? It's just, it looks like a, just another building in a, just a traditional downtown. Um, but anyway, but they called it the La Lorie Mansion, so whatever. Um, by now, Delphine was one of the most prominent socialites in the city. And because it was the pre-Civil War, pre War South, everyone owned slaves, all right? Everybody got slaves. Delphine was no exception. Um, maintaining several different slave quarters as part of her mansion on Royal Street. And for reasons that no one can really seem to agree on with her story, things started to go downhill in 1831. Um, some people began noticing that her slaves were especially neglected, even though she was openly polite and kind to them in public. Uh, she even freed two of her slaves, though they were elderly, and this was common practice at the time to sort of emancipate older slaves so the owners wouldn't be burdened with taking care of them in their older age. It was a real dick move. Um, but in 1836, Delphine's 12-year-old slave, Leah, was brushing Delphine's hair when she hit a snag. 
happens, all right? Women's got a lot of hairs. And if you're running your fingers through it or a brush through it, you get snagged. They get tangly. Uh, But Delphine was enraged and in pain. And she grabbed a whip and began chasing Leah all over the mansion. And then Leah eventually made her way to the roof and just jumped to her death rather than deal with uh, Delphine's wrath. And that incident prompted an investigation into Delphine's treatment of her slaves. And she was found guilty of illegal cruelty because, you know, some cruelty to slaves was pretty legal in the South, but not there, there was illegal cruelty, which was too much. Um, and she was forced to forfeit nine more of her slaves. However, uh, those nine slaves were then purchased by one of Delphine's relatives and subsequently returned because that's how often and how easy it was to screw slaves over in the South. Like you could think that the government's on your side and be like, okay, you're a dick. You have to give up your slaves. But then there was no regulation after that to prevent those slaves from being bought by your relatives and then just given back to the original owner as like a weird present, like a weird Christmas present. Well, on April 10th, 1834, firefighters were called out to put out a fire at Delphine's mansion. And when rescuers arrived, they found a 70 year old slave chained to the stove. Uh, The slave said that she had started the fire as a suicide attempt because she feared Uh, of being punished by Delphine for whatever she had done. Uh, She then told police to look upstairs because uh, the slaves that were often sent upstairs never came back. So uh, good Samaritans who had also come around, come uh, to the scene uh, rushed upstairs to make sure everyone had been evacuated from the burning building. And when Delphine refused to give them a key, they broke through the door and immediately wished that they had not done that. Um, Upon entering the room, the group saw seven slaves, quote, more or less horribly mutilated, suspended by the neck with their limbs apparently stretched and torn from one extremity to the other. Uh, One member of the group, uh, Judge Jean-Francois Cononage, later reported that he saw one slave wearing an iron collar and another that had a head wound so severe that she could no longer speak or walk. Uh, when Kananage asked uh, Leonard LaLaurie just what on earth was going on, uh, Leonard stubbornly responded, Some people had to better stay home rather than come to others' houses to dictate the laws and the meddle with other people's business. I don't know what accent that was. Uh, I wanted to go French on that. But then as I was doing it, I thought, wow, this would be a great opportunity to unleash Cajun accent. Didn't do it. But I can do it now. I don't know, some people, some people better stay home rather than kind of other housing dictate how to middle know the people in it. That's probably how he sounded because New Orleans, um, <laughs> the slaves were taken to a local jail, which was somehow an improvement over the mansion, um, where as many as 4,000 people came by to see the results of uh, Delphine's torture for themselves. Meanwhile, another group of angry citizens formed a mob, went over to the Lollery mansion and destroyed the place. Uh, investigators tried to comb the mansion and found shallow graves of, of even more tortured slaves. Uh, but before uh, Delphine could ever be tried for the, the torture and, and the crimes against her slaves, she fled to Mobile, Alabama, and then went on to Paris. Uh, from there, she practically disappeared from all of history, with most people believing that she died uh, in a boar hunting accident somewhere in France. However, uh, French records do indicate that a Marie Delphine McCarthy 
died in Paris on December 7th, 1849, which could have ended up being uh, the new identity of Delphine LaLaurie. So how we feeling, ladies? You know, look, you're great, all right? Women, wonderful creatures, all right? Great people. You can't all be perfect, all right? And so we had to do this episode. It was your turn, all right? Pretty much every other episode is about some dude that was horrible. So hopefully you took it in stride, all right? And other than that, let's see what we learned today. What did we learn? Number one, uh, although some historians dispute it, uh, Messalina may or may not have just had a 25-man train run on her in a 24-hour period, which, like, even if she just went 24 straight hours, that is more than technically, it's like one point, I don't know, like one dude per hour, which is impressive. But you know what? She probably slept for like eight hours that day. So now 25 in a 16 hour period, even better. Then she probably had to stop and eat, maybe go to the bathroom, maybe do some other stuff that you did. So let's call it 12 hours, 25 dudes in 12 hours. That's more than two an hour. That's impressive. All right. It's gross, but it's impressive. All right. Uh, Number two, Elizabeth Bathory. Did she abduct hundreds of small children and bathe in their blood to maintain her youthfulness? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, She's still listed in the record books as one of the most prolific serial killers, but there's just not a lot of like compelling evidence to suggest uh, that, that she actually did those things. Uh, And number three, uh, same thing with Delphine LaLaurie. Um, There's a lot of, uh, a lot of questions around her story. Uh, A lot of people aren't sure if, you know, what they said truly happened to her slaves or anything like that. But you can still go to the LaLaurie Mansion. um, And it's a big part of a lot of ghost tours and such around New Orleans. Next week on Our Weird World... We're doing another episode on early Christian martyrs for some reason. I don't know. I just, I got to knock them out, I guess. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Like those episodes weren't terrible. All right. Like I think I was just in a weird place when I did the first two uh, parts of that um, in around March of last year. But um, this year going to hit part three of early Christian martyrs, going to hit it hard uh, with the stories of Simphorosa, Kitaria, Lawrence, and Sebastian. Uh, true stories, because why would Christians lie about any of these things as Kitty just stomps all over a bag in protest that I am not giving him cuddles? All right, that's going to do it for this week. Thanks for hanging through this one as I butchered all of it uh, with distractions and poor jokes, which I mean, the poor jokes is not anything new. Anyway, thanks for listening though. Uh, keep telling all your friends and keep it weird. 